one year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I almost tried trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money in the fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. The structure from Herb Lennon. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads. Two information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet that's working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much to sing, the judge is your podcast. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get them better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back to the first shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. Great to have you here. We're brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cots Bros has everything you need to get started on the trap line. On X Maps, use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. Mark trap locations, run tracks, get landowner information and parcel data, and scout using the latest aerial imagery and all the other layers of information you can get from that mapping tool. On XMaps.com. Remember to use the code TRAP, T-R-A-P, when you check out to get 20% off your first order. And finally, Moyle Make Tannery. Get your fur tan by the professionals. Moyle.net, M-O-Y-L-E.net. What are you going to do with your fur during the low fur market? You want to get creative. You want to preserve those memories. Hang the fur on the wall. You know, get get uh, make some hats, make some mitts. You got to get creative. Maybe sell uh, at some craft fairs, sell tan fur online. All kinds of different things that you can do, but you can't do much without properly tanned, well-preserved fur. And that's where Moyle comes in. They're the professionals. They do an incredible job. They'll get that fur preserved for the long term with a beautiful garment tan that you're absolutely going to love. Moyle.net, M-O-Y-L-E.net. Use their online customer portal to get your fur done 30 days faster. So that's a pretty pretty slick way to, to get ahead of the line there. And once you get that fur tan, there's a whole lot of things you can do with it. It opens up all kinds of possibilities. Speaking of tan fur, I have some tan fur left on the Trapping Today store, but it's been going quite fast. So if you are still interested, uh, I, what I learned was that a lot of people still have no idea that I even have any for sale. So <laughs> that's that's a flaw of my lack of marketing skills. But I've mentioned it most of the time. It seems to be the YouTube videos where I, I mention tan fur, and then somebody says, how much is that going to be when you when you get those Martin back from the tannery? I say, well, I actually have like 15 already tan ones for sale right here from last year. So things like that, you know, or or someone says, man, I wish I could get one of those. Well, hey, guess what? I've got them on this on the store right now. So uh, one of them from this past week, uh, Alex bought a fox pelt, and I had a few other. I sent I sent some a few Martin pelts out, uh, a couple of others. I think I what I saw a raccoon, an otter, 
anyway, this fox went out and one of the unique things, you know, you never know what people do with these different pelts, but Alex made a quiver for arrows out of that fox pelt and he sent me a picture of it. it turned out pretty awesome. So that's really cool to see the, you know, there's so many different things. I, I never would have thought of that, making a quiver out of that. So uh, you uh, have a lot of different possibilities, but check that out at trappingtodaystore.com if you're interested in some of my tan fur. And I had some requests for coyotes. I do have three coyotes left. I got someone looking at them. I think I only have one fox left, one otter, and quite a few marten. But that's, I think that's it. I'm looking at the furs right now. I just finished up. If you're interested, check out the YouTube channel. I have a updated video on a little bit of skinning i tried something a little bit different i did like a fast motion skinning video of me doing a martin and a fisher here in the fur shed and just to to give people a little bit of a view on things it, it's kind of slow and boring just to sit there and watch every detail and i've already done martin and fisher skinning videos before so i just kind of ran through it real quick just for entertainment purposes i guess but you can check that out and those furs, some of those are going to moil. Uh, I have five fisher going to moil, and I already have three of them spoken for as of this week. So there's there's potentially two more if you're interested. Let me know so I can put your name down. And Martin, a lot of my Martin are probably going to fur harvesters, and a lot of my beaver are going to fur harvesters. Unless people really want some tan beaver, um, you got to let me know. And uh, I, I, you know, I've been looking at the prices. It's just the shipping cost is so high right now that it's, it's uh, hard to justify this unless I know they're already sold um, when I send them out. So that's tanned fur. The second thing I want to let you know about big news in the Trapping Today store. There's all kinds of news tonight. In this episode, you're going to get lots of news, <laughs> lots of big news. So uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll get into that later, but. There are brand new hats and shirts in the Trapping Today store. Also, the classic Mustela t-shirt is back in stock in all sizes. And we have a brand new t-shirt. It is the Trapping Today t-shirt, the Trapping Today logo. They're navy blue district uh, tri-blend tees. They're really good, high-quality t-shirts. And they get the Trapping Today logo in white. They look awesome. Go to trappingtodaystore.com to see pictures of those. Just click on apparel and you'll see that those in the hats. We got Trapping Today beanie hats um, for the wintertime. Keep your head warm with the Trapping Today logo embroidered on the front of those. Uh, I'm going to do a pretty good deal on those. Those are only going to be 15 bucks a piece. Free shipping. The shirts are 25 And we have brand new Flex Fit baseball caps with the trapping today logo embroidered on the front of them i only did those in large extra large size so they only come in two sizes there's a i think a a small medium and a large extra large and i only got the large extra large so sorry if you don't fit into that size but for most people you should be able to fit into this lxl uh, flex fit cap they are really nice really comfortable cap so looking forward to uh, to sending some of those out to folks um, so check out trappingtodaystore.com for more on that. And uh, Lure, just wanted to give a little feedback. Things are kind of wrapping up with Lure because, of course, it's the end of trapping season for a lot of northern places. And 
in the southern areas, you know, you're still, some of you guys are probably just beginning your trapping season, but for a lot of the places that, at least that I've sent lure to, they're either, you know, you're either right in the midst of the season, you're at the end of the season, or you've already bought your lure for the season. So uh, the lure sales do tend to go down this time of year. And as a result, I kind of lower my production because I, um, I don't want to have a bunch of stuff sitting around not selling. So I, I don't have as much in stock, but I do need to get more long distance call made up. So I'm going to do that just as soon as I get this fur all cleared out of the fur shed and I can make a batch of that without worrying about having to stink everything up in here. So I have actually down to two bottles of long distance call. I upped the price on them it's just so I wouldn't run out of stock right away. But go on there and pick up your long distance call if you need it. I did. I sold more lure this year than I have than I ever have, and that's not a, a astronomical amount of lure by any means. It's not, um, you know, this is not a big lure operation. So, you know, I don't wholesale or anything like that. I just sell directly. You guys through that trapping today store is the only place you can get it. But you know, looking back the last few years, this is definitely the most lure that I've sold. So. It, it's uh, it's kind of slowly increasing and I get all kinds of good feedback but I, I do have issues with not being a very good marketer and I just feel you know I, I don't I don't feel comfortable a lot of times bragging up my own lure or, or sounding wanting to not wanting to sound like a BS artist but I've gotten a lot of good feedback this year and the more folks that try the lure the more the more like it and tell me how high quality it is and like that long distance call, how long that lure lasts compared to other lures. And, you know, I, I did, I picked up a, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I picked up a bunch of trapping supplies used this winter from a guy and there were a bunch of name brand lures, some of the hottest selling lures on the market and that I had not used before. So I wasn't, I've, I've just heard the hype and I haven't had the chance to, to actually get into them and I did a lot of sniff testing and and uh, testing for strength and and lasting power and let's just say that not to put down anybody there's all kinds of quality lure on the market but um, I, I'm just saying that to tell you that I I was able to gain a lot of confidence in my lure <laughs> through through uh, you know looking at a lot of those other lures and, and playing around with them and using them so anyway that's just uh a little bit uh, of a way to get at uh, some of the feedback. I've had uh, several folks, I've had two or three recently send pictures of fishers, either in uh, Minnesota, uh, Vermont. I had, uh, oh, I guess several in Minnesota, actually, uh, caught with my long-distance call. And uh, one guy in Minnesota is just destroying the fishers with, uh, predator plus i had one from todd in pennsylvania about long distance call that i just got i think i got this yesterday um hey jeremiah i just wanted to let you know that i bought some of your long distance call lure last year to try it out because the some of the others don't last hardly at all yours on the other hand is by far the best that i've ever used it keeps on smelling even after a week of rain i can smell it from a distance from my set the other guys don't have anything on you. Just wanted to give credit where credits due. Keep up the good work and honesty. Thanks. So I, I've I've had several of those. So it's a good feeling. I just uh, 
thought I, I, I felt like I wanted to share that with you guys. It's just, uh, if you haven't had the chance to try the lure, I'd, I'd love to have you try it. Also, you know, the long distance call, get the predator plus, I actually might be sold. I might have one or two more predator plus left, but I, I have to work on that. Uh, Birch river beaver lure. I have quite a bit of that left in stock. Um, and muskrat magnet and sweetness and several others yeah so i uh, got a variety of lures there in the store and, and the the apparel and all that stuff so wanted to to give you a little heads up about that if you're interested in shopping at the trapping today store okay enough self-promotion <laughs> it's time to get into tonight's episode this is going to be a reflective one we're going to look back on a lot of things that went on over the past couple of years this i'm going to title this the second 100 and when i got to my 100th podcast episode way back a couple years ago it's kind of a bit of a milestone i guess you could say 100 episodes a lot goes on a lot of time passes it's a lot of work it's a lot of information that gets recorded on audio and i did a recap episode where i just went through some of the highlights of the different people that I interviewed and the things that I learned and all the interesting things that took place during those first 100 episodes and 200 came around and I never really did anything like that I was kind of you know just doing my day-to-day stuff and pretty busy and and cranking out episodes as as uh, much as I could and I I never really felt the need to celebrate it and I never felt the need to to sit down and, and recap but um, where I'm at right now with things, I, I really felt like it was a good time to go back and and talk about some of these older episodes. And one of the things that brought this back in my memory was that I had a couple of emails from people recently asking about things, um, asking me to either cover a topic or asking about interviewing a particular person in the trapping industry. And in those cases, I had already either covered the topic or I'd already interviewed the person. And, and so I mentioned, you know, go, you know, you can go back to these episodes and find this information here. And yeah, I talked to that guy and, and he was in episode XX, whatever. So I realized again that not everybody listens to all the episodes, which is understandable. There's a lot there. And if you don't listen to every single episode, you don't know what's out there. So this is also a great way to to provide a little bit of background for folks that are new to the podcast or have not listened for a while and don't realize what you might have missed. And, and instead of having to go back and go through everything, maybe we'll just go over these in enough detail where you, you can decide whether or not you're interested in each particular episode and you want to go check it out. So for starters, a lot of big events went on during this uh, second 200 era of podcast episodes. Probably the biggest one was I went to Alaska. I fulfilled a lifelong dream. Uh, Actually, the dream had something to do with going to Alaska and staying. But (laughs) So I guess I partially did fulfill that dream of trapping in Alaska. And I, I spent a couple weeks up there in interior Alaska on the Porcupine River, and it was an unbelievable experience. If you want to go back and listen to some of those episodes, episodes 119 through 123 in some shape or another, in some form or another, 
uh, covered uh, my Alaska trip. After I got back, uh, my trip, uh, during the trip, the, the recordings that I, uh, that Jim Furman and I did in the trapping cabin out there in the bush and uh, all the, all my, my thoughts and reactions and experiences and everything else from that trip. So uh, you can check those out if you want to kind of relive that trip with me. Uh, got something else going on related to that that I, I you'll hear about probably sometime this went later this winter. So stay tuned on that. Uh, not going back to Alaska right now. It, I know I wish I could, but that's that's not what it is. But anyway, uh, another big event. I published the Walter Arnold book. And this was a collection of stories from Walter Arnold, a legendary trapper in Maine, who was very famous for mainly, not only for his trapping and his lure making, he was probably the top lure maker in the country for a time, but uh, he was mainly famous for his articles that he wrote in Fur Fish and Game magazine back in the 1940s and 50s, some in the 30s. And, And he shared folks shared his his trapping experiences with folks from all around the country so this was a a, sort of a modern take on walter arnold's experiences as well as a reprinting of a selection of his old stories for for folks to be able to to read today that book has has been very successful and i've had so many different people tell me how much they enjoyed it you can still get that book. It's on the Trapping Today store, and it's also available on Amazon. Um, I, it doesn't matter to me whether you purchase it on my store or on Amazon. It, it's all the same. But uh, check that out. It was it was just a great book, and you can read a lot of the Walter Arnold articles on on uh, the Trapping Today website as well. And afterwards, uh, shortly after the Walter Arnold book, I published uh, another book. Well, not shortly after. I guess it was quite a while after. Uh, a fall fur hunt in Maine, and this was a historic trapping expedition by Manly Hardy in the 1850s, uh, late 1850s. In fact, it was in 1859, prior to the Civil War in a very remote area of northern Maine. Pretty fascinating stuff, and uh, this this kind of recounts his story uh, about that trip and and all the different things that that they did he and another guy oh it took him forever just to get up there to where they were trapping they they were um they went by boat uh then by canoe a little bit with uh sleds towed by oxen or horses a lot of a lot of footwork a lot of walking around on foot they ended up uh, building a cabin on the shore cockmagomic lake in like a course of a week by hand with axes and saws they ran extensive extensive trap lines through multiple townships everything they carried on their backs there was no technology here i mean they didn't have a wood stove they they built an open fire and had and built a, a chimney system to to vent the smoke out of the cabin they made deadfalls for martin and fisher their martin and fisher traps were were handmade uh, deadfalls carved into trees or made out of logs just really cool stuff they trapped they had indians trapping around them they had early lumbermen and lumber camps that they worked around 
the the weather, the species, the different species that were were around at the time, just really fascinating stuff. Uh, it's a short, easy read, and you can find that on my store or on Amazon as well. But yeah, those those were uh, pretty cool for me personally because it was kind of something that I'd wanted to do for a long time. I've always been a writer, and I I know that writing has been one of my strengths, but my great weakness was that I was never able to carve out enough time to do the writing that I felt that I I wanted to do. So this was a good chance to get my toes back into things and give me a little bit of momentum, have a little bit of success with that, and and hopefully help kind of propel things a little f- further with my writing here in the next couple of years. So that's, a, that's one of the things that I, I have planned here uh, coming into the near future. And I want to thank you guys for your support in purchasing those books and writing reviews on Amazon and doing all that because it really helped get some momentum going for those. And, and I've got several ideas for book projects uh, to come. So those are kind of the events surrounding the podcast, but now let's get into the actual podcast episodes and uh, let's talk about, let's start by talking about some of the people that, that we talked with. We interviewed a few big names in the second 100 episodes of the show. Episode 101, we had part three of my interview with Stan Zaray. Stan was a star on the TV show Yukon Men. He has a... Uh, cabin he lives in the village of Tanana pretty well off the road system they did build a road there recently but a very isolated remote village on the Yukon River where people still live a subsistence lifestyle gather their firewood hunt for their food and and uh, several of them still trap Stan is one of them he traps with a dog team uh, there in that Tanana area Stan's a really great guy. If you haven't seen the show Yukon Men, it's one of the few shows that I would encourage you to sit down in front of the TV and actually watch. It really, really is fascinating. And it's one of the shows that brought trapping back into the public spotlight and I think shed a positive light on trapping for a lot of folks from the cities and places that just had no idea that it was something that people still did. I did three parts with Stan. Two of them were, were in the first 100 episodes, and, and this, of course, is the third one. And so you can listen back to that. On this third episode, we talked more about the, doing the show, Yukon Men, and kind of like the behind-the-scenes stuff and things that you you wouldn't know by watching the show, but he, he talks a lot about. We talked about bush life and, and a lot of the sort of social aspects of living out there and uh, what people in the villages do and things like that. We also talked about a future project, the Stan project, that uh, there was a Kickstarter campaign going on at the time, which I donated to, and I know a couple of you donated to. And the project, the idea behind the project was after the Yukon Men show had been canceled, you know, there's still a lot of stories to tell and a lot of things to document about that lifestyle. And, and uh, Stan is is a real fascinating character can't get enough of him he has he does have a youtube channel and he puts things up there from time to time which is pretty awesome uh, but this project one of the film crew members from from the discovery channel wanted to do a project just filming stan and sort of more of a reflective laid-back style um, not dramatic by any means and uh, they did a bunch of filming and a bunch of work on this. So it was called The Stan Project. It still 
is uh, in process. And that was kind of, it's, it's kind of been the one disappointment for me about that project is that I expected that to be done in a year and it's been, I don't know, two and a half years and they still haven't finished it. So they're working on editing. They want to do a little more filming. Hopefully I will have news at some point to let you guys know that that is out and we have a, either a mini series or uh, some sort of uh, a show that we can watch uh, or a documentary of some sort. But um, stay tuned for that. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, it's too bad that it took so long because uh, I, you love to see things like that. A lot of times when it takes too long, sometimes things just don't have, end up getting finished. But they've been sending out updates that they are still working on it. So hopefully they can get that done. Speaking of TV shows, we get some more TV show people. Um, those of you who have watched the show The Last Alaskans, my favorite show by far, by far. It went on for four seasons. On It was on uh, Animal Planet and National Geographic. I believe it was on, on both of those during different seasons. The show documented the lives of several families who were living on trap lines in and around the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in Alaska a remote area the size of the state of South Carolina with no roads, uh, no villages, no nothing, no civilization whatsoever. Seven cabin permits for people who are allowed to live there and and uh, run their trap lines. They're grandfathered in since before it became a refuge. And those people are kind of slowly dying off. There aren't very many of them left living that trapping subsistence lifestyle. The show followed Haimo and Edna Korth, who are the furthest north in uh, trapping in Anwar. They are a very fascinating couple. Haimo moved to Alaska from Wisconsin when he was like uh, 18 or 20 years old. Just a kid, wanted to live out in the woods. He lived alone, uh, lived that lifestyle for, for quite a while. Still there, one of the few that's still there. He's in his 60s and he's he's still going strong, uh, living out there and running a trap line. Raised a family out in the woods. There are a couple of other documentaries on HIMO if you want some further background. Uh, they're available on YouTube. One I think is, it, well, it includes him. It's called Braving Alaska, I believe. It was a National Geographic special back in the early 90s. And the other one is a Vice documentary. I think it's called Hymo's Arctic Refuge. Check those out. They're really, really fascinating. Uh, I did not interview Hymo. Uh, I, I want to in the future, though. He's, he's definitely on my list. I would love to do it in person. Uh, coincidentally, the area that I trapped in when I went to Alaska was, was not far at all. It was in the same general area as uh, what was documented in this show. So uh, if, if you check out the show, you'll, you'll get to see some of that. Uh, scenery and what the area is like. They also followed Ray Lewis, the Lewis family, his him, his wife, and three daughters living out there. Uh, Charlie Jagow, Charlie's, uh, well, back to Ray. Ray, his daughters are, I think they're to the age now where they're kind of all moving off on their own, but they are all raised out there. And they would live and work in Fairbanks in the summer. And then in the wintertime, they'd go move onto the trap line. And, and they'd stay they'd stay out in the bush for the winter time and they did this they've done this for uh, for decades uh, Charlie Jagow is on the show he's a younger guy 
he during the show I think he was like 19 or 20 years old had his own plane he grew up up there in the porcupine his his dad was Paul Jagow who moved to the porcupine area from New York State way back must have been in the 70s and he he lived out there alone in a sod hut or a house that he kind of carved into the side of a mountain and trapped wouldn't see a soul all winter long um, maybe come out for a few weeks in the summertime but it, it was quite a lifestyle uh, now Charlie has kind of taken over his dad's trap lines and uh, is is still up there going strong kind of carrying on the tradition Bob Hart Bob had a cabin in a trap line on the Colleen River which is tributary to the porcupine Bob was probably the most beloved character in that show. Bob actually passed away during the the show, during the duration. I think uh, the last season, uh, Bob Bob passed away. But he was he was very sentimental character. He was uh, he just loved that area so deeply, so so deeply, and he knew it was coming to an end for him, and and he uh, he didn't want to see it go away. Uh, quite, quite moving, really quite moving scenery and, and, uh, storyline, just listening to Bob talk about his life there and, and the good times he had with his family when they're all living together there and, and how lonely he was toward the end. I wish I could have interviewed Bob. Uh, obviously I didn't have that opportunity, but during the second 100 episodes, I actually interviewed Bob's ex-wife, Nancy Becker. And Nancy lived out there with Bob for, for several years on the trap line. And she went through a lot of that stuff. And so she had a, a really a good inside scoop on, on what what the, the lifestyle was. And she got a lot of background information and a lot of stuff that you didn't see on the show. It was really cool. Nancy was such a great person to talk with. And she wrote a book. Uh, Trapline Chatter, Life in Love with Last Alaskan Bob Hart. That book is available on Amazon, last I checked. Shortly after that, uh, I interviewed another character from The Last Alaskans. <laughs> Funny, I call him character. Tyler Selden. Tyler and Ashley Selden are a younger couple with young kids who are some of the few, the one of the few couples that are still living out there. Uh, they are, they're up... Um, north of where I trapped and they run their trap line with a dog team uh, it is boy quite a feat they they spend summers in Fairbanks uh, save up money grow a bunch of food in the garden and uh, just just do all all that so that they can go back out to the trap line every fall and uh, they are far as I know they left in September and they're still there and they'll probably still uh, be there through uh, a good part of the, the spring but Tyler was from uh, Nebraska, and Ashley was from, I believe, Minnesota. And they met in college. Tyler was a philosophy major in college. And he kind of was, you know, floundering, trying to discover what he wanted in life and what, what his purpose was and goals were. And, and he just realized that where he was headed was not where he wanted to be. And he actually found 
the book, James Campbell's book, The Final Frontiersman, that was a book about the life of Haimo Korth, uh, up there in Anwar in Arctic, Alaska, living in the wilderness. It, it, and Tyler found The Final Frontiersman at a bookstore in, uh, I think, in Duluth, Minnesota. <laughs> and he took that book home and the light bulb went off in his head that I need to go to Alaska. Uh, he and Ashley uh, moved up there. Took He took a summer job, and then she came up af- after that. And they uh, they took seasonal work, and they, they lived there and, and uh, kind of worked their way through a few different places. And they finally found their home uh, on the trap line and, and part, part of the time in the town of Fairbanks. Uh, Tyler's a really reflective guy. He is uh, a thinker, a deep thinker. And uh, because I'm not a philosopher, I can't describe <laughs> a lot of the things uh, in the way that Tyler would, but I, I envy his ability with his way with words. Um, but anyway, if you watch the show, you'll know what I you know what I mean. But anyway, uh, I did uh, two episodes interviewing Tyler, 127 and 128. We talk about his background and, and how he ended up there on the trap line. In Alaska. Moving uh, just east, let's go to Canada. Stay up north with the big names. Uh, Rich Mellon from Trapping Inc. Rich and I did, I think, three, three or four episodes. So those of you who are not familiar, Trapping Inc. is probably, I think, it's the most popular trapping television show. It's on. Uh, I think want to say the Pursuit Channel. Don't quote me on that because I don't get uh, satellite TV, but. It is, or I find it is on, I've found it on Amazon Prime, but Rich and Sandy Mellon have a trap line in northern Canada, and they, Rich is kind of a professional film producer and TV show producer. He's done like walleye fishing stuff. He's done a hunting show. Just a really knowledgeable guy in the outdoors industry, and he decided he was going to, later in life, he kind of got into trapping in a big way. He and Sandy bought a trap line. They took a trapper education course, and they went full on into uh, the bush and doing the trapping lifestyle. They brought their cameras along the way, and Rich got advertisers and filmed everything and did produced uh, produced shows. and He's got seasons, and they now have a podcast, uh, the Tra- Trapping Inc. Scuttlebutt podcast, a really good one. Uh, they interview people. They also just sit down and talk about their trap line. Great guy to talk to. And as you'll you'll hear in those episodes, uh, I want to say they're 140 to 143, that uh, Rich has a lot of knowledge and experience to share. And even further east, up to the northeast corner of the United States, in my home state of Maine and in my hometown, I sat down with... A couple of trappers. One of them was a big name because he was on a TV show. We call him the TV star here. Charlie Tucker from the show Mountain Men. And Charlie is a trapper here in northern Maine. Lives just uh, down the road from me. Great guy to talk with. And we sat down with him and Billy Thompson. Another excellent trapper. He's probably one of, he's definitely one of the best trappers that you never heard of. And a really great, all-around great guy to boot. Uh, 
and Billy and Charlie sit down and talk traffic for a long time. This was just a great sit down. It was it was amazing. It was a lot of fun. Those are episodes 133 to 135 and 138. And then I sit down just me and Billy for a couple of episodes later on 179 and 180. And Billy is a his big thing is spring beaver trapping, but he also gets into the history with how he started trapping when he was younger and his dad. His dad was an original I mean, he was a hardcore old school trapper. Uh, another guy that probably of his generation, the one of the best that you never heard of. Back when there weren't many beaver around and there was a short season and it was hard to travel and you had no augers and it was all chipping ice with a chisel, uh, his dad would, would catch around 100 beavers through the ice in the wintertime. And that was something that was unheard of at the time. He he went out when he was, I think he was 20 years old. He moved out to the woods and he trapped. And he stayed there, living in the woods by himself for 20 years. And he came back to town when he was 40. He got married and had kids. <laughs> and, then he, and then he started a, a life, a regular normal life. And he raised Billy. That's why... He said his dad was almost like a granddad to him because he was over 40 years old when he had him. And uh, he was he had had so much experience before then. And moving down south, we talked with Kirk DeKalb. Kirk is one of the very well-known beaver trappers. He had, like, I think, oh, 15 or 14 or 15,000 beavers to his name, maybe more than that, um, in Georgia. Uh, excellent, excellent trapper. And we talked not only about his background in, in trapping and his experiences, but also his uh, new book that he wrote about a really fascinating topic, something that uh, not many people in the trapping world have ever given much thought to. It's called An Outdoorsman's Greatest Discovery, The Real Reasons Why Animals Are Detecting Your Sets. And I would encourage you to take a look at that. And whether you buy into it or not, I don't know. Uh, you'll have to decide for yourself, but I think there is something going on with magnetic fields and how animals can uh, detect steel and sense a lot of things that maybe we haven't given them quite enough credit for. So check that out. That's episode 170 and 183 with Kirk DeKalb. Then in episodes 187 189, we talk with Jim Comstock from Comstock Custom Cage, and Jim is a animal damage control trapper and a cage manufacturer he's come up with all kinds of different designs actually had the chance to meet jim in person at the main trappers association fall rendezvous this past summer uh, really great guy to talk with and uh, another guy that that can talk your ear off he has so much information to share he's also got a quite an, an amazing history uh california bobcat trapping and all the different things that that uh Jim and his wife Judy have done over the years in the trapping world. So, uh, great interview there. So, those are the big names. But, one of the things that I've really, really enjoyed uh, in doing this podcast is not just talking with big name trappers, but also just average, everyday, down-to-earth people. People who you've never heard of and I've never heard of, but... They may listen to the show. They may, you know, want to share something or have something they feel like they can contribute or uh, just want to come on and chat. And I've done that with 
with quite a few people and I, it's given me the opportunity to meet a lot of people that I would never have met otherwise. So it's been great and I've learned things and just got so many different perspectives from, from all over the country. So we had Mike Miller from Wyoming. We had him on several episodes, 107, 148, 149. And uh, we talked about his experiences trapping back east and then moving out to Wyoming. We had Caleb Bunce, who's another trapper from Wyoming and a relatively new trapper, but has been getting into it more and more every year and is getting involved in Wyoming Trappers Association, doing a lot of great stuff there. Will Griffith, coyote trapper from Ohio. Um, just a, a really unique set of circumstances and challenges that they deal with there in Ohio. So that was really cool. A lot of farm country he traps around, uh, does some farming himself. I had one, uh, Josh, who I haven't heard from, Josh from New Zealand. And I, I'd love to know if Josh is still out there, still in Maine and still trapping. But he moved from New Zealand to Maine, and he just was out of the blue, decided to get into trapping. So that was a cool interview. Pat from Massachusetts, uh, first introduction to trapping, I believe, was watching Steve Ranella's Meat Eater show where they did some beaver trapping and were eating beaver meat, and Pat thought, yeah, I should try that. Pat has since been on the show quite a few times, and he just did an interview with Clint Locklear here recently. Chris from North Carolina, another unique background, and and uh, Chris had been through a lot of tough things in his life, but trapping was one of the things that has kind of helped him moving into a rural area and getting into trapping has really helped him kind of uh, stay grounded and and really have a deep connection uh, with the important things in life. Brad from Vermont coming from kind of a scientific background and and approaching trapping in a uh, a really a neat perspective. Uh, I enjoyed talking with Brad, and, and uh, I think he's one of those guys who's just a really good communicator and uh, is is going to uh, be very successful in whatever he does. Nathan from Minnesota. Nathan was a workhorse. Um, he's another one I haven't heard from recently. Nathan, shoot me an email if you're still alive. But he was when we interviewed him, he was in college. He was working like three jobs, and he had 24 beaver lodges set up through the ice. <laughs> running traps just just crazy crazy busy get about three four hours of sleep a night if he was lucky um but he was a worker an absolute worker and i'm i'm sure he's he's still doing things and and finding success uh, because you you have to be successful when when you're that dedicated to something uh we talked with garrett volk from north dakota garrett was on uh one of the first 100 episodes uh, Garrett is a trapper and does a lot of work with fur. Uh, he's a fur buyer and he makes fur hats and mitts and that sort of thing. Talked with a, a well, a better known trapper. I don't know if uh, Chris would consider himself uh, one of the big names or one of the average guys or somewhere in between, but Chris Pope from Coyote Trapping School. We talked uh, again with him a little bit about going to the National Trappers Association convention and, and other stuff that he had going on at the time. Butch Borman, a coyote trapper from originally from Pennsylvania, uh, now has a place in Maine and does a bunch of trapping in Maine. He He's started off mainly a coyote trapper, and now he's doing some Martin and Fisher trapping in my general area, and he does some guiding, so he'll take people out on like week-long uh, Martin and Fisher trapping trip. 
Philippe Willis from Our Numinous Nature and Herbaceous Human. Philippe uh, has a podcast. He is an artist. He is uh, from New York City, now lives in the backcountry in uh, West Virginia. Uh, talk about uh, a, an interesting character and a different background and, you know, just a, a representation, just kind of a highlight of, of how different we are in this trapping community and this especially modern trapping community people are coming at it from all different angles and uh, Philippe is just a, a really cool guy really really cool guy fun to talk with great artist and he did the Martin trapping today logo and the Mustela t-shirt artwork and uh, he's got a lot of other artwork if I if I had the time and energy and money I'd, I'd be just cranking out t-shirts every week uh, with Philippe's art just a really really awesome stuff Jeff Trainer from Live Free and Trap. That was the original trapping blog he had. It's now called Fur Bear Conservation. Jeff is uh, animal damage control trapper from New Hampshire. Also does a little bit of fur trapping. Uh, Jeff is in the category of expert communicator, writer, talker, speaker. Just a really great guy. Uh, and he shared a lot of good information. Jeff, Jeff can talk fur bears and species conservation with the best of them and and he really does a a really great service to trappers in in his public outreach bruce fournier trapper from connecticut who lives here in northern maine now and uh, had a lot of fun talking with bruce great guy and uh, another guy that i'm glad i had the chance to to meet and get to to still chat with he is uh, right now just going crazy trapping beavers. Um, I don't know what he's going to do with them all, but <laughs> he's having too much fun, having way too much fun. We had Cole Porter back on. Cole was a long-time guy from, from way back at the beginning of the podcast and, and another great guy, and he talked about bear trapping. That was a unique episode. I think that was maybe 185 or 186 and talked about some other topics, and then um, all the way to the end, number 200, we had Alex Balwig from Wisconsin, and we talked uh, about raccoon, dog-proof trapping, muskrats, and a few other topics. So, yeah, the, there's just so many of you out there in, in this Trapping Today community that uh, I had have a lot to learn from and just a wide variety of backgrounds. It's really cool. And finally, I wanted to talk about a few main topics, some key topics of conversation that we talked about in the second 200 podcast episodes. And of course, we're not going to get into everything. I did a lot of episodes where I just kind of rattled on and talked about different topics or I did a Q&A and answered a bunch of different questions or uh, had different themes. But these are kind of the key ones that uh, r- really stood out to me. And coincidentally, these were also some of the most popular episodes of the second 200. Actually, some of the most popular episodes of the entire history of the podcast. So, episode 105 uh, was titled, What's Changed in Coyote Trapping? And that was around the time a couple years ago when I was finally getting back into coyote trapping. And I had, I'd started, I'd learned to trap coyotes back when I was in high school, uh, guy that taught me to trap was a really good coyote trapper. He was kind of an o- Craig O'Gorman disciple. And I I learned a lot. I learned the system, the formula, uh, learned how to chase coyotes, how to make sets. 
and I was I was fairly successful for the amount of time I was able to, to spend on it. And then I walked away. I got a I went to college. Then I went to graduate school. Then I got a job. And I was all over the West. And I did a little bit of coyote trapping in in there, here and there, but nothing really to speak of. And then I came back to Maine. And then I started up a farm and I did a bunch of other stuff and I did some Martin and Fisher trapping, but I and muskrats and beavers, but I never got back to coyote trapping until two years ago. And I just decided, okay, I'm going to get back into it, and, and here we go. And so many things had changed in that like 15 years time span that it was it was just really eye opening for me, from the types of traps that we use, uh, from for us the regulations here in Maine, from the staking technology um, and you know the move from rebar stakes to, to widespread use of earth anchors from the use of flat sets uh, compared to dirt hole sets just a, a pile of different things that, that changed over time and and not only in the overall trapping industry but in my mind as well uh, wax dirt we never knew about wax dirt when I was when I was getting started so I, I kind of rolled through those and it gave me a really great sort of uh, overview to look back on uh, to, you know, hopefully explain some of the basics of coyote trapping for folks that are, are looking to get into it today and how that has changed over time. Trapping Around Dogs, episode 153. This one was extremely popular. It, it is one of the highest, if not the highest, downloaded episode of the podcast. Not sure exactly why, except to say that it's a, it's a big, touchy topic. And as trappers, we, I think, have a responsibility to avoid doing things that could be very controversial and could jeopardize our ability to trap and the ability of others around us to trap in the future. And so what I talked about was uh, some of the things that you can do to avoid catching dogs and then what you can do if you catch a dog to minimize uh, the damage uh, using certain traps, uh, checking traps at certain intervals, communicating with people, uh, just uh, things things that you can do to make sure that uh you know, if a, if a guy is, is using a, a dog, a hunting dog, or someone's walking their dog, and that dog gets caught, it gets out of everything without more than just a little, maybe a sore foot at worst. So, trapping around dogs was a good one. Episode 169, tanning fur. This was with Ryan Moyle from Moyle Mink and Tannery. This was also one of the top uh, downloaded episodes. This even might take the top. This one was extremely popular. Ryan uh, has been in this family business uh, for ever uh, uh, since he was a kid, and he knows the ins and outs of tanning fur like nobody else I've ever talked with. He he is an expert's expert. <clears throat> this tanning process is it's probably one of the most complicated processes that takes place in in modern society in any type of factory type situation. The, the types of chemicals that need to be used, the, uh, the treatments of 
of the pelts and all of the different stages and steps and the timing and the water temperature and what to do with the pelt when and how to get things just perfect and cleaned up and get all of the you know the pH right and get the tan to take successfully get that to turn into a nice soft leathery stretchy fur it really was a fascinating interview with Ryan and I learned a heck of a lot um, I know if you haven't listened to that episode you got to get back and listen to that that's just a great one and then finally episode 195 I talked about best management practices and uh, that was going to stem into kind of a series of different BMP topics, BMP-related topics, but uh, I never did get to it. But that is an overview of a process that's been going on for three decades now that has uh, put some scientific rigor behind what we do as trappers. And it's, it's helped to kind of show, I think, show the public that um, as a whole, for the most part, Trapping is extremely humane. There are extremely low catches of non-target animals. And it can be done in a way that is safe, ethical, and responsible. So I think BMPs have been a pretty good thing. They've also given trappers options uh, and educated trappers and decisions to make on types of traps to use and what situations. So that was that was BMP. So yeah, set quite a few different topics there that we covered, big, broad, overarching topics. Um, in a nutshell, that's the second 100 episodes. And now I want to get into the Cotsbros message of the week. Go to Cotsbros.com, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com to check out their new wire screen aluminum pan covers. A great new product that they just came out with this fall uh, if you're a coyote trapper they can help you um, add catches and increase your success on the trap line and also check out the clearance specials section of the store so if you're at cotsbros.com uh, hit the drop down menu that says shop and go down and click on clearance specials and you'll see what they've got here as i'm on here now they have limited edition limited supply lures third degree 99 coyotes, 99 reds, crispy crunch coon bait, and midnight snack. Um, those are all in limited quantities while supplies last. They got Mill Creek Lures DVD for $12.99, running the line dirt and water trapping. Some soft ground disposable stake ends. There's a closeout sale on those. Those look like the Berkshire disposable stake style. And a sale price on split rings. So check them out. They're always adding things, and things don't always last. They, they do tend to sell out. Uh, a lot of times so check them out cotsbros.com thanks cotsbros for supporting the podcast not only with the first read the very first advertisement on this show but also uh, the end the the last read of the podcast every week uh, it's been a message from cotsbros and and i really appreciate that i remember when um when we had uh fur harvesters was having some financial uh issues where they they couldn't afford to, they couldn't be spending money on advertising. They're just trying to keep the place, keep the lights on the place. And, uh, they, they no longer were advertising and Cosbros picked up that second slot. And that was pretty good. Um, good opportunity for, for me to, um, to kind of keep things going with the same number of ad slots that I had on the show. And I hope it's been useful for you guys as well. Just keeping you up to date on the things that Cosbros had going on and, 
and uh, different specials and sales and all that stuff. So anyway, that was great. So finally, guys, I have an announcement to make. This has been the last weekly episode of the Trapping Today podcast. So the reason for that is plain and simple is that I need a break. I've been doing this for every single week for over four years now. And it's been a great thing. It, it's been it's been great for me, not only f- in terms of the feedback that I've gotten from you guys, uh, the friends that I've met, the financial support from the advertisers and from folks buying the books and buying the lure and going to the shopping at the store and all that stuff. It's been it's been really great and uh, it's been really rewarding. I feel like I've I've kind of learned a lot on how to talk in front of a microphone, even though I'm really not that great at it, but better, and how to think in terms of uh, communicating different topics and subjects to people. I've learned a lot about interviewing people, the questions to ask, uh, how much to talk, how much to listen, the uh, all the different aspects of, of things. So... It, it has been an excellent experience, and I part of me wants to just keep doing this every week for the rest of my life. However, I have talked about this earlier a few months ago. We we had this little discussion. I got actually I got a lot of feedback from that. A lot of people weren't too excited about me potentially stopping doing the podcast. <laughs> but anyway, I I I decided that I needed a break, not physically. But mentally and emotionally, I need a break. I need a break from not having to have that little mental load in the back of my mind that you got to do a podcast every Saturday night, regardless of what's going on that week. And when you commit to it, that's what you commit to. That's what you do. So that means you lose sleep trying to find, you know, get the interview lined up and get that figured out or research on a topic or do this, do that. And it's just... Uh, it's good, but for me, I need a break from it. And I have a number of different things that I want to do. And over the past uh, probably two years, year, maybe year or two, I've tried to do some of those things, uh, like the Walter Arnold book, for instance, but have uh, found that because I was spending time doing this I was unable to spend that time doing those those other things that I wanted to pursue so podcast is not over the podcast is not being canceled um, but what I've done is I, I've set things up to where I, I fulfilled all my obligations to the advertisers and I need a break where I don't have to do a weekly episode every week right now and I know that's tough for, for people because if you don't if you you're in the habit of listening every week and then a guy stops uploading a podcast every week, you kinda stop checking to see if there's one up. So I understand you know, I may lose listeners as a result. Get it. Um, definitely lost a lot of revenue as a result, I can tell you that. But I, I do think some of the things I want to do I, I think I can make up for that if things work out. But basically what I want to do is go on a less than weekly schedule. I want to continue the podcast and keep things going, but I don't want to have to be in the fur shed every Saturday night to to do this show. 
So I haven't decided what that's exactly going to be yet. To be honest, I haven't really had the time to sit down and, uh, and think about it. Just like think hard about, about that and, and just kind of clear my mind from all the other things I've got going. So I, I need to think about it. I need to figure it out. I need to see, you know, what, what I like about the YouTube channel is I have absolutely no obligation to put a YouTube video up at any time. But when I have something I think would be cool for you guys to see, I upload a YouTube video. I, I hit record on the camera and I, I put it up on YouTube. And that that seems to work for that platform. It, it's it's worked really well. So that's kind of... It, it, I, I'm steering towards either going that route where, you know, and I got a lot to say, a lot to talk about in the trapping world. Maybe you, you hear a lot of episodes. And when I don't, you don't. When it's the middle of summer and I'm, I'm either out in the woods on a lake or pond or I'm in the hay field trying to get the winter feed in or running fences for cattle or cutting trees or doing whatever else I'm doing. I don't have to stop everything I'm doing and, and come in the first shed at nine, ten o'clock at night and and crank out an episode. And then when I'm out on the trap line, maybe I I crank a bunch of them out because I got a lot to talk about and, and it's dark at 4.30 and there's plenty of time to sit in the shed in the evenings and do stuff. So I don't know. We'll see. The other option I've been kicking around is going monthly. Just doing doing one a month. One a month. Maybe two a month. I don't know. But I think what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to take a break for about a month. So it's January oh, 8th, as you hear, 8th or 9th as you hear this. So I think I'm going to take a break for a month and uh, regroup and go from there and uh, you may you may hear from me if you're if you're not um, if you just listen to the podcast and you don't have any other way of contacting me get get on the email list I, maybe it's kind of a pain but go to trappingtoday.com and there's a place where you can sign up for the trapper email list if you're not signed up for that because that right now all that does is crank out my podcast episodes or whatever I post up on the page and notifies you of new stuff coming out but if I get to where I'm I'm really working on some of these other things and I want to share that with you, I will probably start using that email list to do so. Um, also, uh, the YouTube channel, subscribe to that if you, if you haven't, and I may sort of use that as a platform as well. So I haven't decided yet. I, I'm excited. I, I'm sad to say that the next few weeks you're not going to hear from me, but I am super excited about this, to be honest with you. So <laughs> I apologize for the, the disappointment that a few of you are going to have over not not having regular content coming your way. But um, hopefully someday I'll make up for it. But anyway, guys, thanks so much for everything. And uh, keep on talking trapping. Keep on thinking trapping. jrodwood at gmail.com. J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Um, if you want to send me some feedback or thoughts or whatever, contact me, questions, and so forth. Feel free to do so. Until then, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping. We'll catch you on the next episode. Sometime.